This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Good morning and welcome to Deep South Dining. We are here right on top of our Captain Crunch and hope you're having a good Monday. Carol, how are you? I'm good. Malcolm, did you have any Captain Crunch for breakfast this morning? No, I missed my crunch this morning. Uh, but uh, maybe tomorrow. Who knows? Who knows? Just kind of put the idea in our mind. Yeah. Actually, it's been a minute since I've uh, gotten down on the Captain Crunch. How about you? Yeah, it's been it's been a long minute. A and speaking of that, minute. it's been a long minute since you and I talked. We have been uh, away for two weeks. So how in the world are you? That's a long time. You know, I'm I'm really good, and and I've I've really missed you. Uh, I thought about you a lot this month, and you know we've texted a few times, but there was a, a big birthday in your life on January eighth. Yeah, Hal and Mouse, correcto, changeo. Uh, Thirty six years uh, we've been down there on Commerce Street doing that thing. Uh, and I can't even begin to describe how different it is now with the COVID-19 uh, in this 36th year than what it was like in the previous 35. But, you know, it is what it is, and uh, we carry on. Well, you do. Um, so tell me about the day Helen Mouse opened. Well, we had been uh, producing some shows uh, through the latter end of 1985, um, in what space used to be called the Lamar. You know, we had moved the Lamar Club from down at the Lamar Theater, where one Jackson place is, down to Hallam, the Hallam House building. And we ran that for a year or so, maybe two. And then Hal and I took it over uh, toward the end of 85 and began remodeling it for what was to become Hallam House and started producing some shows, one of which was uh, a co-production uh, with Charles Evers, uh, with, um, uh, you know, a, a great blues show. We did several with, with Charles actually, but Albert King was our first oh big show as, as Hall and Mouse. And then we actually served our first meal on January the 8th, which was Elvis's birthday in, uh, 1986 to, um, to John, uh, Maxwell, Maxwell. John Maxwell, the great actor, director, writer. Uh, Maxwell had a studio uh, in the Hallam House building. Uh, and so he came downstairs on the first day we had the kitchen up and running. And we served him a roast beef po' boy. And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, I want to take you back even further because I happened to be at Hallam Mouse on New Year's Eve night of 1985 before you opened, I was invited to a very nice Christmas party. Right. And I think y'all were just putting in the toilets that day, new toilets <laughs> and, and getting, you know, getting ready. But um, it was, you know, it was a big, I think it was Frank Day, um, who's no longer with us. It was his, it's a very fine Christmas party. 
Yeah, I can't remember what those were called, but we hosted those events for several years. Homer Best was real involved with that group. And uh, it was a big sort of, as you say, private uh, Christmas party uh, that was held. Well, it was sort of a New Year's Christmas holiday party, I would mm-hmm. say. But anyway, yeah, I remember those. Uh, yes, indeedy. But a lot, has, a lot of uh, water has, has gone under that bridge. And, uh, you know, we're, we're struggling. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're pulling along. We're pulling along. So what about cooking and coping since we've last visited? My goodness, there's a lot of activity there. Our Facebook page. Yeah, my goodness. There are over 3,000 members now, and there is some cooking going on. Uh, you know, knowing we were going to do one pot meals today, I was scrolling through last night and just seeing yeah, the amazing and tasty food people are doing. Um, one that really caught my attention on the one pot meals was a uh, young a young person, John Grady Burnett, who had made a venison backstrap pot pie. And it was a thing of beauty. Yeah, I, I saw that. And I'd not heard of such a dish, but it sounds fantastic. But well, that's the cool thing about cooking and coping, the Facebook page. We, we, we connect with a lot of people. Uh, that may or may not be listeners to the show, but we find them all across the globe. And it's fun having both the, the Facebook page, which is interactive, and, and then this show, this thing that we are doing as we speak to sort of connect this whole community. I saw something rather unusual a few days ago, and it, somebody was talking about how much they loved the Cooking and Coping page. And they'd learned so much and connected to so many people, but they really regretted how political it had become. And and I scratched my head and I thought, I have not seen the first political post since we started this on cooking and coping. Am I missing something? No, I don't think so. I mean, the only thing I've ever seen is, you know, people making election night meals or inauguration meals. But no, I, mm. that, that's, that's kind of weird. Yeah, mostly I just see people helping each other, Um, you know, people calling forth their inner Leanne Galt or their inner Tim Pierce uh, or Bob Yarbrough or or Bob LaCour from Meridian. People, you know, there's, there's some people who kind of set the pace in terms of really nailing dishes that right. capture everybody's imagination. You know, it's it's nothing high foo foo. It's just good food, and then people post that they try it, and another person tries it. So they're they're coming to be some community dishes. Yeah, and I love it when people will ask a question like, "I I have this set of ingredients. Give me some ideas," and people just start weighing in on what they can do with that particular. Uh, ingredient or what dishes are possible. Um, and it really gets me going too. Yeah. And one of the recipes I've done now for the third time is from our friend April McGregor, who's originally from Bartman, Mississippi, now in Pennsylvania. And it was a turkey and sausage gumbo. And I, I've mentioned it before, but there's a lot of joy in learning a new recipe and, you know, kind of getting it in your system and learning to add on your own and developing it to your, your taste. 
Uh, and I know a lot of other people have done that recipe too, but I highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, another thing we're going to talk about today uh, is the meatless Monday concept and some great substitutes uh, for meat in your diet. And maybe Carol, you can explain the meatless Monday concept again, which we talk about from time to time. Yeah. Meatless Monday started actually uh, back during, I believe it was World War One. It was then Meatless Tuesday, but, you know, to help the war effort and to provide more food for the sh- soldiers, the government asked people to, you know, do without out meat. And, you know, it became a thing, and then it was revived a few years ago, and it's, it's now, you know, bigger than just a, a United States effort. It's really caught on all over the world, and people take that one day a week to think about the planet, to think about their health, and... Uh, it's it's been fun to do. I've done it for a couple of years, yeah. and I know Java is, you know, eating meatless at his house right now. I'm hoping he'll weigh in. Uh, Java, you had mentioned a carrot hot dog, and I was <laughs> I was pretty amazed by that. I want to hear about it. Yeah, I can I I can attest that it actually. When done right, it comes across really, really well. If you would have told me that I would eat a a carrot hot dog, then I would have told you, no, I don't understand what is happening. But again, my wife, she's been meatless for some months now. And um, she actually found this nice place in Jackson. He was uh, it's called Soul Wired Cafe. And um, it was actually featured on um, Anthony Bourdain's show, uh, No Reservations. Um, some years back, you know, before he uh, passed away, uh, when he came when he came through uh, Jackson, and um, she, the the uh, lady who owns it, um, her uh, her name is Soul. Uh, she makes these things called cool dogs, and it's actually a carrot. She does some kind of magical formula to it, <laughs> and um, it comes it comes wow. across with, on a bun um, with uh, coleslaw, so it's dressed just like a hot dog. And the same way with the cauliflower um, wings, if you don't tell someone, I mean, hey, you wouldn't know. I mean, I mean, I I don't understand it, but it is a thing. (laughs) And there are recipes out there, too. So if you have some carrots at home, uh, chop the ends off and uh, and follow the recipe. (laughs) Hey, Java, where is Soul Wired Cafe? Uh, Soul Wired Cafe is off of North State Street um, uh, across uh, across the way from um, where McHale's used to be. I wish I could uh, give a proper I'll get the address before before the end of the show but um yeah she does an all vegan menu and um the cool dogs is one of her uh you know top top sellers she also does like nachos with cashew i'd never heard of this but cashew cheese so instead mm. of um uh you know cheese cheese <laughs> it's cheese made from from cashews well, wow. okay, I I am one vaccine away from going to a restaurant again. <laughs> I've really missed it. So I'm suggesting that the three of us meet at the Soul Wired Cafe after we are fully vaccinated and ready to go. And, and speaking of the vaccination, uh, since we were last on the air live, Carol, you and I have gotten our first COVID-19 shots. Uh, yeah, I, traveled, I traveled to uh, Pascagoula 
and got my first shot. And I think you and John got yours as well, right? Yeah, I traveled to Greenwood for mine and took John over to Greenville for his. So, uh, you know, doesn't matter how far away you go, got to get those vaccines. And Java being such a young person, we're going to have to wait for him. Yeah, yeah he's I'm, way too I'm young. way down on the list. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for once it helps to be elderly, Java. <laughs> now, some other uh, items on Meatless Monday are using beans or lentils instead of ground beef or sausage. As Java mentioned, using a carrot instead of a hot dog. Uh, the cauliflower um, substitute for steak or poultry is amazing. I've had some fantastic cauliflower steaks uh, in restaurants. And finally, using eggplant instead of chicken. Uh, I love eggplant. I love I have eggplant. long loved it. Well, all right. Uh, we You want to take the call first, job, or take the break? Uh, let's the man. Chico's a, a, a good friend, and he always has something interesting to say. So let's talk to Chico in Oxford. All right, Chico, how's it going, man? Oh, it, it's going great, except that yesterday, Tom Brady and the NFL Zebras <laughs> changed my life. Yeah. Because I was planning well, on embracing the Mediterranean diet after the Green Bay Packers won the Super Bowl. Right, right. Uh, and, and it looks like I'm going to be two weeks early in doing that. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't I hate know, to say Chico, it. <laughs> Chico is a big, big uh, Green Bay Packers fan, and I was pulling for the pack yesterday too. But it's just not to be. Both the teams I was interested in have been eliminated. Well, all three really, starting with the Saints, then the Bills, and then the Packers. So now we're left with uh, Kansas City uh, and Tampa Bay. So you know there will be a Super Bowl, but I will be less enthusiastic. <laughs> oh, I, I've been a Packers fan for 55 years. Oh, I'm sorry, 54 years. And over that 54 years, I've eaten a lot of good food while following the Packers. Bet and, you have. You know, I'm, I'm six weeks away from turning 60, and I've been saying for a long time that once I hit 60, even though my doctor tells me that I'm in a lot better shape health-wise than I should be, he gives it all to genetics. I still, you know, 60, I decided I'm going to stop eating two or three dough burgers a day and, and go more to plant-based food. And um, that's a bit of a problem because I sure do like supporting restaurants like Hallam Mouse and the Big Apple Inn and the Old Cherokee and the Mayflower. Up here in Tupelo, Johnny's Drive-In or in Oxford, Proud Larry's, Ajax Diner, of course, the list just goes on and on and on. And so I got to work that out, how I'm going to do that. Blue Canoe here in Tupelo, which yeah. is a great place, yeah. has a great dish called Dirty Greens and Groats. And you can get it Ooh. with a slab of salmon. And I dream about that dish. All <laughs> you know, uh, you don't have to go cold turkey as you know, as we say, Chico, you really don't. You you just need to start easing in more plant-based foods. It's not all or nothing. Well, that's yeah, what and, I'm and, calling to ask about. Um, I know y'all are talking about meatless food today and, and one-pot cooking. Well, I'm, I'm curious if anybody has any advice on pot cooking. Because um, <laughs> I, I've embraced the THC butter. And it... <laughs> 
it does a good job. It really does. I mean, it's not like smoking it. I've, I, I know y'all don't know the difference, but but smoking it or, or even know about it. But smoking it is a relieves pain. I I have a real bad chronic pain problem, and I use it for that. It makes working a whole lot more doable. But I've been using the THC butter, just putting it in coffee or hot chocolate or whatnot, and that works. Mm. But I'd like to expand that to pot cooking in one pot cooking. If anybody's ah. got any advice, it's times like this. I wish Ronzo was still with us so I could. Yeah, if we Ron Shapiro could certainly add to this conversation. Well, now we <laughs> all know that for a long, long time, people—certainly not us—but people have been making pot or marijuana brownies and putting it in desserts and 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 teas for a long, long time. So, I without any previous knowledge of this chico i would think you could make teas uh for your pain for uh in a way to use thc tea tea like boil the uh sticks and stems or whatever it is uh and make tea with lemon and honey now that's interesting i had not thought about it. my redheaded woman makes great tea so i'm gonna have to talk to her about that Okay. Well, just a thought. And and by the way, you know, when referring to going meatless, we no longer use the term cold turkey. We now use the term cold tofu. tofu. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chico, thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for calling in. We always appreciate your perspective uh, and your enthusiasm for our show and for good eating all around the state of Mississippi. Um, Chico is our North Mississippi correspondent. He often covers the Tupelo, Oxford, Boonville, uh, Tishomingo area for us, and we appreciate that. And, you know, speaking of dough burgers, they're about one half plant-based, if you want to really break it down, because the whole concept of a dough burger is less beef and more soy. So there's a beginning right there. There you go. All right, so we're going to take a break. This is our first break of the day. When we come back, we're going to talk about the one-pot uh, cooking and the food trends of 2021. We hope that you'll stay tuned and join us if you feel like it. one 672 or shoot us an email to food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're tuned to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Malcolm White with Carol Puckett. This is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and brown sugar sometimes. You know what, Carol? Carol made, Carol made these, speaking of brown sugar, Carol made these fantastic pear galettes yesterday. And she used fresh pears and a jam for sweetener, uh, a fruit jam that she bought uh, in a jar, I believe at Costco. But she used that as her sweetener and just a touch of vanilla extract and cooked these pears down and then folded them into uh, a, a puff pastry. And they were just outstanding pear galettes. 
And was there any brown sugar involved, like sprinkled on the top? Well, that's what we talked about. She did not do that, but we talked about, and as we were consuming them, that it would have been kind of nice, like a pie, to sprinkle a little bit of brown sugar on the top for that crunchy, sort of sweet front end. So that's what remind, the, the Rolling Stones song reminded me of that. Of course. So, uh, you know, this one pot thing, uh, it, it's on pace to be a real uh, big trend uh, in 2021. In fact, last year, it was one of the top three food articles uh, in the New York Times um, where people uh, are, are trending toward the one pot. So we have a list of uh, tips about that, Carol, if you would, uh, if you would kick off sort of the general tips about one pot dishes. Well, before any tips, I just want to say how fascinating I find it that all of a sudden one-pot dishes are trending because every society has had one-pot meals forever. And being Southerners, you know, we have jambalaya, we have gumbo, we have etouffee. You know, we're used to cooking in one pot. And in Spain paella, chicken and rice. You know, every culture has a chicken and rice or peas and rice from Jamaica. But one-pot meals make a lot of sense because literally you have one pot to cook in and one pot to clean and one pot to build a lot of flavor in. And the first tip you know, I was going to say when, when you're cooking a one-pot dish with meat is always sear your meat first. Mm. You know, get your, get your pot hot, you know, throw in a little oil, and then, then sear the meat. If you're going to be cooking it for a long time, you know, sear it and brown it and take it out before you do the other dishes. But that's a good place to start. Yeah, and recently, uh, speaking of one-pots, <clears throat> I made a giant pot of what I call giant boxcar lima beans, the big white ones, yep. with using the Virginia ham uh, that Rob uh, Norris sent us for Christmas. And I used the ham uh, sort of trimmings and some of the ham bone and some of the ham meat for a stock in making these boxcars. But as you know, a bag of boxcars makes a giant, giant pot. And after giving away as many as I could, I still found myself with quite a number of uh, boxcar lima beans in the refrigerator. So my granddaughter, Wren, and I have been spending a lot of time, make what she calls making a soup, where we get out a pot, we put it on the stove, we add water or milk, and then she starts putting things in there that she can think of, and we make, you know, a child's soup. Well, one day while she was making the child soup, I decided to take the boxcar lima beans and turn them into a bean soup. So she and I cut carrots and onions and garlic and celery and, and fresh herbs and piled them in on top of the beans and ended up making a, a second version of a one pot, which was another one pot. So we took boxcar lima beans and turned them into bean soup, which I think soup is the star of the one pot, in my view. Of course. And just to uh, to go back to your boxcar lima beans and using the leftovers, there's something that you taught me, I mean, years ago, maybe 20 years ago, when we were doing 
we were having a pot roast contest. Yes. And you, and you took all of your vegetables that the pot roast was cooked in and pureed them in a blender and then <laughs> used it to thicken the sauce. To make the and, gravy, yeah. Yes, and uh, and same with boxcar beans. I was listening to our friend Vivian Howard on the Splendid Table, and she was talking about layering flavor. And, you know, take take your boxcar beans, you know, puree them, and add them to a soup or to, um, you know, to a braise to add another layer of flavor and thicken it. So there's all sorts of things you can do. Yeah, and speaking of thickening, yesterday <clears throat> Carol was making uh, a, a giant one pot of um, potato and leek soup, which she makes about once a month, and, and we, we eat on it for, for weeks on end. And so <clears throat> the previously discussed phenomenon of my granddaughter, Wren, making a soup, she had her soup going on one I and Kara had her soup. Well, when Kara got the immersion blender out and started started blending her potatoes and leeks and onions and garlic and all of her ingredients into a creamed uh, pureed soup, Wren, of course, wanted to do the same on hers. And her soup contained noodles. Uh-oh. So I thought this might be fun. So we put that immersion blender into that <laughs> pot of noodles and actually reduced them to a liquid, which ended up being a thickener. And I thought, I never thought about pureeing pasta as a thickener, but I think I'm going to try it. <laughs> That's pretty weird, Malcolm. I mean, I know, no wonder it was really, really thick because, you know, pasta is basically flour and water. And then right, which is, which, which is roux. <laughs> okay. It's Rue. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make one pot dish, and I'm going to puree some cooked pasta into it, and then we're gonna talk about that one of these days. Well, we will. Uh, I wanted to talk for just a minute about the cookware to 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 use to make one pot meals, and you know my favorite pan, my favorite pot is the Le Creuset Dutch oven. You know, yes, an enameled cast iron pan. And to do one pot meals, I really think that everybody should have in their kitchen a five quart or eight quart Dutch oven. My favorite's the eight quart, but I read that the five quart is actually the most popular size. Well, we have one and that's actually what we made. Um, we, what Kara made the potato leek soup in yesterday. But I'll tell you uh, a kitchen mess up that, that I committed recently, and that is I took a Brillo pad to the bottom of my Le Creuset uh, Dutch oven trying to clean it up. Messed it up bad, Carol. I bet you did, Malcolm. You know, Dutch ovens are so good because they're thick-walled. Yeah. And they not only, you know, retain they build heat then they retain heat and you can take you know a, a cast iron or an enameled cast iron pot to the table too but yeah there's everything from just the regular seasoned cast iron to the very fine pots like Staub and Le Creuset 
I even saw some enamel cast iron yeah, on the internet made by the company that makes crock pots. Ooh. So there's a whole range of prices out there, but I do, I think everybody should have a Dutch oven. Well, we have a question from a listener via email. Liz is asking about making soups and when to put the top, the lid on the pot and when to have the lid off the pot. Now, I'm going to give my version of that, Carol, and then I would like for you to give your version. So when I am sauteing the vegetables or searing the meat at the ground level, I keep the top off. Uh, but when I've added uh, all of the ingredients and the liquid, whether it's stock or water or milk or cream or whatever you're using, then I put the top on for a little while, turn it down low and let everything have a chance to get to know each other. And, and, and this low boil, slow cooking. But then as I want it to thicken to the desired thickness I want my soup to be, I remove the lid once more and finish it so that there will be evaporation and the cooking will reduce the amount of liquid that was in the other ingredients, whether it's meats or vegetables, to get to the desired thickness. How about you? Malcolm, no one could say it better than you just said it. So I have actually nothing to add. Leave the lid on when you want the condensation and the condensation to come back into the, the soup and take it off when you're ready to thicken. Great. Well, Liz, we hope that helps answer your question. And certainly here is the other tip. You do what, what, what you know, floats your boat and experiment. Uh, everybody has a different uh, outcome. Uh, but one thing I will say is don't try to do everything fast and on high heat. You know, don't get in a hurry when you're making a soup or a one pot. The whole thing is about slow. It's about building flavors. Uh, and, and then once you have built those layers and flavors in there, then you can turn it down, uh, you know, and, and let the celebration begin. You were so poetic. All right. And then another tip is adding ingredients wisely. Uh, you know, you want to partially brown your meat first, then your vegetables, uh, and, and the quickest things to cook go in last. For example, many, many people use shrimp in one-pot dishes, and they destroy them before they are able to serve them. The shrimp go in last. They only take a few minutes to cook, so do not throw the shrimp in uh, early on in any dish because they will uh, become unstable. That is a fine tip. You know, another tip when we're talking about building flavors is to season all along. Mm. Because if you just throw some salt on at the end of making your soup or your one pot, it tastes like salt thrown on a dish. You know, build your flavors slowly. And, you know, speaking of salt, uh, I've been watching the Netflix series uh, of Fran Lieberitz in New York uh, with Martin Scorsese. It's called Pretend It's a City. And Fran is a hilarious human being. And she sort of takes us, the, the viewer, on a, 
you know, on a journey around New York and she offers her opinions on everything from food to the subways to public art and all things in between. Someone posted yesterday uh, a, a list of critiques that Fran Lieberitz had made. Uh, I think it was for uh, some magazine. I don't remember which one it was. But she critiqued, one of the things she critiqued was garlic salt. And what Fran said was, are you kidding me? Why would you take a seasoning and add it to a seasoning? Salt is already a seasoning. Garlic is already a seasoning. <laughs> Why on earth would anybody make garlic salt? We don't need it. <laughs> I'll tell you something. I agree with Fran Leibowitz on that. And also garlic salt, if you can, there's a metallic taste to it. I don't know what they do to it, but I'm with her. We don't need seasonings married with other seasonings. Right. Okay, we've got a caller. I don't know who it is, but we're so glad you called. I think it's Charlie, at Charlie from Lena, Mississippi. Charlie, hey. Hey, how y'all doing? Man, we're great. How about you? Good. Doing great Monday morning. Um, when I came out of college, I was a wilderness guide for several years, backpacking, canoeing, kayaking, and we mostly only had one pot, you know, to cook out of. So I had a suggestion for people looking to simplify some of their meals and stuff to look into some backpacking cookbooks. There's some great ideas through there that are very simple. A lot of times you're going to get people with dried onion flakes and that kind of stuff, but you just substitute that stuff out for fresh. And it actually, there's a whole lot of uh, great recipes to be found out there. Great yes. idea. Tell it, Charlie. What kind of pot did you use? <laughs> well, a lot of times we had a number 10 tin can. <laughs> if we had a large group. <laughs> I mean, we, were, we weren't much different hobos for a while there. But, um, you know, that was early on. And, you know, you get tired. There's only so much freeze-dried stuff you can take. So you've got to start, you know, expanding your, uh, your cooking ideas. And literally, other than watching my mom and dad growing up doing the cooking around the kitchen, that's where I really learned to cook. Um, you know, when I wasn't leading groups, when I was going by myself, I really, or with friends, you know, we just wanted to eat a lot better. And yeah. um, so we started expanding a lot of that. But uh, I know the Sierra Club had a one-pot cookbook out, <laughs> let me chuckle, 40 years ago. I don't remember the name of it, but it, it was something about one-pot meals. Well, a lot of vegetarian um, recipes in it in those days. And um, so there's variety out there. It's just a great Yeah, and Lodge, Lodge has a great Dutch oven cookbook, a one-pot cookbook. And Charlie, I'm I'm with you. Uh, I know you know Malcolm and I have done our fair share of canoeing and uh, having to prepare wilderness meals, and there is nothing like a shore lunch or dinner over mm -hmm. a fire, a one pot <clears throat> meal. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think there there are two things about outdoor campsite cooking that are magical. One is that you're using an open flame, an open fire, wood fire. So you're going to get that smokiness in almost everything that you cook, unless you're using some sort of propane or gas rig. Right. I'm talking about cooking on a fire. And then the right. other is, you know, 
being inventive and, and when you're out there and you only have an onion and a carrot and, and a That's fish, right. uh, buddy, you got to get creative. Uh, you right. may throw a splash of wine in it. If you have it, you may throw some beer in it. If you have it, you may, I mean, it, it really challenges, uh, uh, the cook when they're out your there with just a handful of ingredients. Yeah. Works on your creativity. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That That's great. Uh, get, that wood smoke doesn't just get in your food. It also gets in your hair and your clothes and everything else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when you're out there, that's a beautiful thing. That's right. You know? That's right. Not so much when you're in church on Sunday, but when you're out um, on the side of the river or the lake or up in the mountains, yeah, bring right. on the wood smoke. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling, Charlie, man. No problem. That, that's Take good. Care. That's good, good stuff. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, you know, one pot cooking um, out on uh, out in the wilderness is is a beautiful thing. All right, it's time for a break. Yep. Okay. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will continue talking about the one pot if you want to. But we're going to sort of segue over to stocking the pantry for efficiency and flavor. Carol's an expert on shopping and stocking, so we hope to hear from you. If you want to join the conversation, just dial one eight. 7767427464 or shoot us an email but whatever you do please stay tuned on southern remedy healthy and fit you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active i'm dr josie bidwell host of southern remedy healthy and fit and associate professor of preventive medicine at the university of mississippi medical center listen to the show every monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. Malcolm White, Java Chapman, and Carol Puckett here with you. Thanks for joining us on this Monday. We've been talking about one pots, and before we move from that conversation, I wanted to add uh, that it's always great when you're doing a one pot to add a, fl- a flavor profile at the end by, by putting chopped avocados, some fresh herbs or crispy vegetable toppings like a radish or a scallion or fresh parsley right on top of that one pot dish, that soup, those beans, whatever you're cooking. And also for another level, add pesto or aioli, aioli or I like to put a little sour cream in a lot of soups and a lot of one-pot dishes and even uh, a little bit of salsa uh, right there at the end to finish it off. And Malcolm, don't forget about adding acid at the end. This is something Vivian Howard talks a lot about in her cookbooks and on the show is a little lemon or a little lime or vinegar uh, you know, you don't really get the taste of that, but it brightens the dishes, lifts it up. That's absolutely right. And one thing I learned a long time ago was I love wilted spinach. Just put some olive oil in a skillet, uh, a little bit of garlic, throw the spinach, the fresh spinach right out of the refrigerator in there, put some salt and pepper on top of that, put a lid on it and let it start to wilt. And at the very end, I learned this a long time ago from Walter Neal. You splash it with a little bit of vinegar, and, and, and that spinach just radiates. It's fantastic. All right, as we mentioned before, the top three uh, red stories in the New York Times in 2020 
uh, where one uh, is stocking your pantry the smart way, keeping grocery shopping to a minimum uh, through smarter pantry shopping. Two is be aware of the food expiration dates that you should follow. And I'm going to let Carol weigh in on the difference between best before and bad after. And then the third was what we spent the first part of our show talking about, the one pot wonders. Uh, So Carol? Well, I'll just say that, you know, your nose is your best guide with food. And most foods have, have a best buy and people mistake that for thinking the food is expired. So, you know, we throw out a lot of good food. Mm. But, you know, use your own nose and taste buds to know. Because when something's best buy, sometimes it'll have weeks longer, you Mm. know, life life to it. Okay. Yeah, and, and I think we've become a little bit hypersensitive to those dates. Uh, we've been cautioned, you know, by healthcare folks, healthcare professionals. Uh, you know, don't eat bad food. Check your dates. Uh, there's a commercial on TV. I have no idea what they're selling, and I could care less. But uh, it's it's a young couple who bought a house, and suddenly all their aunts come to visit, and they say they love their new house, but it has an ant problem. And and one of the ants stands before the refrigerator and goes, "Expired! Expired! Expired!" expired. And, you know, dating food is a voluntary thing. There is no no law, no Department of Agriculture law. I mean, manufacturers, you know, can do it or they cannot do it. Uh, it it's usually the manufacturer's best guess as to when the food will stop being at its peak flavor. I got you. I've had some stuff on the downhill side of it. Yeah, you got to be careful. You add a you add an item that's on the downhill side, and it will show up in your dish uh, as (laughs) in a different form than you're looking for. You know, you add some sour milk or some sour cream that's soured beyond souring. Yeah. uh, To to a to a warm bowl of food, and that stuff scatters everywhere. Uh, looks like an atomic bomb has gone off. You probably shouldn't eat it. Yeah, right? you just, probably shouldn't. But this is a thinking. great segue into stocking your pantry because you really need to have a lot of basics that don't expire. Right. Rice, dried beans and lentils. I mean, beans, dried beans can go for years. Yeah, rice is right. Pasta is, is yet another one. Uh, canned tomatoes. I mean, you can't have too have, many cans yeah, of tomatoes or jars of tomatoes in your refrigerator. Yep. And, and you know, flour usually has a best buy date on it. But, you know, flour is generally okay to use no matter how old it is. But, you and know, we're mentioning rice. Um, brown rice is an exception. Brown rice will only last for a few months because, you know, the, the, the germ hasn't been taken off of it. So there's oil in it that can go rancid. Right. Right. And speaking of oil, one of the things that a well-stocked pantry absolutely needs is good olive oil and balsamic vinegar or any kind of vinegar, really. That's right. 
And, uh, you know, I just never really understood the importance of this till I started living 30 minutes from a grocery store a right. few years ago. And I really you know, have, have to work that pantry constantly so it can just grab something to put with the protein or a starch at night. And I wanted <clears throat> to mention something from Cooking and Coping yeah, you know, our friend Tim Pierce in Memphis heard us talking about stocking the pantry back in early January, and he uh, told us about an app. It's called Any List, and you can just get it at the App Store. It is wonderful. It it uh, you could do your grocery list. You can make your meal plan on it, and and you can also arrange it so it follows your grocery store, like some people's grocery store starts with produce and then you have the deli. So you can design it to be just yeah. like your own grocery store and you can separate it into different grocery stores. Yeah, that that's a fantastic uh, suggestion for, for, for the techie. Uh, you know, some people will not want to go get the app, but if you're really interested in improving your pantry stocking and your shopping, that would be a fantastic way to do it. And a couple of other items that a well-stocked pantry should have are cured meats, canned fishes like anchovies, sardines, tuna, salmon. And, and these are just the building blocks of re really many delicious meals. I mean, how many times do you open the refrigerator and there's nothing there that lights your light bulb? So you go to the pantry and grab a can of tuna fish and start from there. It happens all the time. Or sardines, or salmon. Now, I don't believe I've ever started a meal with sardines, but we keep canned salmon ah. in our pantry. And well, what about spices? Absolutely, you know, fresh, dried. I mean, spices keep a very long time. So a well-stocked spice cabinet is a critical part uh, of a well-stocked pantry and a well-stocked kitchen. I started doing something a few years ago that's really helped me with my spices. And I take a Sharpie and write on the top of the of the jar what the date is, like, you know, 12, 20 or, yeah. or whatever. And it helps me look real quickly to replace them because, you know, there's nothing like a dead spice. Right. And, you know, this is something I learned in 1974 when I got my first job cooking in a restaurant. Restaurants have been you know, applying dates to, in, to stocked items going back hundreds of years. I mean, that is a, an old restaurant, uh, not a trick. I mean, it's a staple. When your, when your uh, pantry items come in, you put the date on it. And yep. so that no matter who goes and grabs, they know exactly what what they're dealing with. So, Javi, will you say we got some emails? You, you got a few emails you want to share with us here in our last few minutes? Yeah, as we end the show, because uh, a couple of them are really uh, complimentary. Um, I have one from uh, Jackie uh, in Marietta. She wanted to thank Deep South Dining and uh, Dr. Josie Bidwell, that Southern Remedy um, Healthy and Fit comes on at 11 o'clock on Mondays, for talking about plant-based diets. So um, I think that's something that we should always revisit because the people – the people like when we talk about 
getting healthy. <laughs> great, great. But, uh, and, and, hey, look, it's great to hear from Marietta, which is one of the many small communities up in Northeast Hills around Boonville where I went to high school. And I'll tell you something about Marietta. They have long had an outstanding basketball team from their high school. Okay. Well, I mean, it's Mississippi. It's a lot of great things around here. <laughs> but uh, here's, here's one, uh, and it, I guess it lends itself to the one pot um, we would call gumbo or one pot, would we? Um, oh, yeah. And uh, this is a hi. Uh, could Malcolm tell us more about how to make roux by browning flour in oven? This is from uh, Sophia. She says, thank you so much for your help. Love your show. Yeah. Okay, so you just you get a baking uh, pan like you're going to toast toast on just a, a you know one inch baking pan sheet and you just put flour white flour out on it don't make it too thick about a quarter of an inch put it in the oven and as it begins to brown you you stir it and turn it over until it is a all browned and consistent and color and finally it is the color that you want your gumbo to be you can make it very dark you can make it light you can make it medium and you're just basically uh toasting the flour before you add it to the liquid as opposed to a roux where you are combining oil and flour and cooking it on the stovetop in a skillet so it's an oven technique dry versus a wet stovetop technique okay and our last question last 30 seconds um this is from david and do you know a product that can add a meat-like flavor to tofu <laughs> yes i do yes i do tofu absorbs flavors well when you marinate them so a very strong marinade like a soy sauce a worcestershire sauce uh, you know, some combination that you, that you make will really give a deep flavor, and it also will help you brown the tofu. Excellent. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Stink Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is artfully produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, I'm Malcolm White. Please stay tuned now for... Now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11 a.m. Join us next Monday for more Deep South Dining, heard right here on MPB Think Radio.